Welcome everyone to episode 82 of the Disc and Dice podcast. My name is Paul and I'm here as always with Jared. How you doing? Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing all right uh, in my air-conditioned room. It's not too hot here for me. Uh, for, for everyone listening, it's 40 degrees roundabouts here today. So we're going to talk about the weather as people do when it's like this. Well, we, we haven't really had much of a heat wave this summer, I don't think. I think we've had like a few, you know, scorches, maybe two in a row. But this is like the first week where pretty much the whole week has been a bit of a write-off in terms of how hot it's been. Yeah, I don't think we've had a proper heat wave in, I think it's been about three years. Because yeah. because when when my wife first moved to Australia... Uh, when she very first arrived in the country, it was like a 40 degree heat wave and all those bushfires were happening. Um, and then since then, I don't think we have, we've barely even had a day over 40 degrees since then. So has it's, this been a bit of a rude shock for her acclimatizing again to, you know, the, the classic SA hot weather? <laughs> no, well, I guess because it's built up to it slowly over years, then it's kind of fine. Like... You know, if, if you get, if you sort of deal with the temperature slowly rising, then you don't notice it as much. Well, that's really nice of um, climate change to ease her <laughs> into the, the, the terrible weather that we're facing. So yeah, exactly. Really, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, climate change will, it, it's just slowly raising the global temperature by a little bit each year so that we don't notice yeah. just being nice to us. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like inflation, you know, but for the weather. So exactly. Very good. Or it's like being boiled alive. Yeah, very slowly. <laughs> um, so, JT, we almost did it. We we started off so well with a, a regular-ish schedule, and it lasted two episodes. And um, then we struggled to record again. So, look, it was a great first <laughs> month for the podcast. <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, we need to just admit any mention of the podcast being regular, fortnightly, <laughs> monthly. Yeah. We need to stop talking about it. I think it's one of those you get what you are given situations <laughs> for the listeners. So we're sorry about that. Um, but look, this is what happens when your full-time job um, isn't also your hobby. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately how it goes. I just looked on our uh, on my podcast app and we are described as a fortnightly podcast. What hey, this, okay, this, is fun, this is funny actually because... The, the podcast description says we're a fortnightly podcast, but this app um, auto-labels your podcasts for how regular they are, and they have labeled us as monthly, even though we have said we're <laughs> fortnightly. So I, I think maybe I'll, I should go and change that to just remove, I think we should, the, let's, <laughs> remove it entirely. Let's play it safe. We'll play it safe. We'll be a bi-monthly See, is bi-monthly twice a month or once every two months? Hmm, that's actually a good question. I reckon it is actually bi-monthly. Hmm. I'm not sure. Maybe we can play it really safe and say that we're a, we're an annual podcast. <laughs> I, I'm actually thinking of just calling us a podcast. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, but yeah, we can we can deal with we can deal with some of that off air. I think. Um, but in terms of games, which is actually. That's actually what this podcast's about, even though I don't think we've mentioned it once in these first uh, these first five minutes. Uh, JT, you've been playing old games, um, which the two of us we like to dive into some old games. So, hmm. what have you been what have you been checking out? Well, 
I've been doing the. It's funny. Okay, I need to. I need before I do anything and and explain what I've been playing. <laughs> I think you'll recall not heaps long ago, maybe like a year and a bit ago. I went on this journey to play through alphabetically all the games in my Steam library because I was like, this is how I'm going to be able to get the most value out of all the money I've spent. I, I remember we we got up to like C or D. Yeah, I gave up on it pretty quickly because <laughs> inadvertently, it's it's just like you get junk mail, but like junk games in your Steam library. I don't know where they come from. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Humble Bundle throws in a load of bullshit games every now and then if you if you get some of their bundles. You get like free stuff. You just, you know, it's kind of just, I, I think you need to do like an annual housekeeping of your Steam library sometimes, you know, yeah. curate it a little bit because it can get out of hand. And that's kind of what I found in that journey. Uh, so, yeah, I think I got to about D um, and was no longer enjoying myself. <laughs> now, the, the, the funny ironic part, comes from now that I've got Game Pass, I'm doing the same thing with Game Pass. <laughs> so I've like started, you know, with whatever the some of the numbers are. And now I'm slowly going through the the Game Pass games, more or less alphabetically. Uh, I've skipped a, a, here, a few here and there just because, you know, they, they might be games that I'm not really interested in playing on console. I have been playing the... The American McGee's version of Alice. So that's for for those who don't know, the Alice in Wonderland story. Um, back in uh, when was it? Back in the year two thousand, um, was sort of made into this adult version of Alice in Wonderland by someone named American McGee, and it's a uh, yeah, it's like a sort of pretty brutal version retelling and reimagining of the the Alice stories um i think it sort of kind of touches on through the looking glass as well um which i I think is like the sequel or is it the prequel to adventures in wonderland i can't remember no idea um so it's on game pass as the, the the sequel which is the second game um which is called um alice madness returns but as part of that game like in the options menu you can actually go back and play the original so i thought why the hell not? You know, old games are usually pretty, pretty short. Um, and so I jumped into to both of them. I've now finished them both. So I've got some thoughts. I guess, you know, I'm coming to this game a bit late, given that the sequel came out in 2011. Um, I used to see the Alice stuff advertised everywhere back in the day. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that game is. I know that it's something to do with Alice in Wonderland and, you know, never really looked into it much further than that. Yeah, I remember these Sorry. these games coming out and like kind of like you said, I don't know I I never played them, so I don't know whether they were good or whether they just had a like a significant marketing budget because mm. they were kind of really everywhere. Um yeah. who, who is American McGee? He's a video game designer, I be- believe. Let me just have a look. I've got the Is um, his first yeah, name he's... American? He actually is. American James McGee. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like an incredible name, I think, and it's 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 kind of like um, uh, I think we we're sort of talking about it off pod, you know, those those media enterprises that like they're attached to a name, you know, like Wes yeah. Craven's horror films, Tom Clancy, or Tom Clancy, um, and then American McGee has this Alice series. Mm. Um, 
so he was working he worked on doom and quake and all those kind of games and i think he sort of segued uh, and did his own thing okay yeah um but they're kind of neat little games you know i i'm given that i'm going way back in time really when i'm playing these i think i kind of always have to go into some of the older games with a bit of an adjusted mindset and so yeah. I told myself, look, this is not going to be up to today's standards. It's going to be gameplay that I'm so familiar with because, you know, there's been decades for uh, publishers and um, developers to, like, elaborate on this kind of stuff. But it is kind of nice going back and seeing some of what you normally recognise in, in modern games into, like, you know, game mechanics that were thought out when they've, in their infancy, I guess you could you could say. Um, and so there's a lot of that. Um, as far as the games go, they are they're 3D platformers. Um, there's there's not really much more to them. I guess I, I think if I was to name a similar game that people are probably more familiar with, I'd say like the 3D Prince of Persia games. Um, yeah. Okay. See, I, maybe... it's interesting. I I I always had in my mind that these were like kind of gothy first-person shooters mm, mm, like mm. that that was the sense i like the aesthetic of it is a bit it's a bit like i always felt felt it was a bit like goth alice in wonderland or something um but yeah i always imagined they were first-person shooters like i said i've never played them yeah no you're 100 correct with the theme it is very much gothic and so it's got this emo goth sort of veil that's been put over the but the whole of wonderland Mm. Um, and all the characters have been reimagined and reimagined and skewed um the the plot and the storyline is like really really quite adult especially in the second game some of the themes are really quite uh full-on um which but they're sort of told in a really really accessible manner you kind of don't really know until sort of towards the end just what a lot of the, the the dialogue has actually been alluding to you kind of get some hints but then you're like okay it was that that's pretty brutal um okay so it's yeah very much a reimagining of the the alice in wonderland story that that you know a lot of people know um but with the same characters you know it's got alice um she's been befelled by i guess like about of psychosis and insanity due to a fire that happened at her house and sort of wiped her family out and she kind of blames herself for it and so she falls into these bouts of insanity where she goes down the rabbit hole um so to speak and mm -hmm. then is sort of thrust into this weird version of wonderland um that she's sort of created to protect herself from different uh different types of trauma that have happened to her so that's kind of like the premise of the game that that premise like my immediate thought of that is if that was a game that was coming out in 2023 that would be a game that was themed very heavily around um mental illness and it's, yeah that's 100 percent what the game is about well yeah i'm like what how does the game deal with that 20, 20 years ago you know what i mean <laughs> um it's a little more on the nose i don't think it's really 
as complex as what the same kind of story would be today. Um, yeah. It's really like, oh, Alice is she's gone mad. She's yeah, having right. hallucinations. It's a little bit more like that, which you could probably imagine. You know that that I don't think that theme had quite developed to what we come to know it as now in terms of the mental health um you know suicidal ideation all that kind of stuff that's present in the games but it's not really trying to tell much more other than that's a thing that alice has thought about mm -hmm. so it's not really trying to um it's not really trying to make you like read between the lines much it's kind of just all there and it's really usually you know doesn't go much further than the text and or the dialogue that's presented to you yeah okay so heaps more stripped back um however you know that's i i can't imagine that this game would would ever really be able to work in the other way anyway you know it's fairly simple in terms of the kind of stuff you're doing in it like i said it's a 3d platformer so i mean now i'm probably more talking um to the first game however moving into the second game which is you know it's a direct sequel goes a little bit into those kind of god of war mechanics that's kind of where, where the game moves to um you know a lot of quick time events mm, okay. uh, it's got some like it's one of those games where i think it it didn't really know what kind of game it wanted to be so it just put a lot of popular things from the time which is you know 2010s it's got like a, a guitar hero bits where you have to like recite a piece of music by like tapping the buttons um <laughs> wow and the your inventory system and your upgrades and weapons that you get or the things that your abilities i should say rather um was very much reminiscent of the god of god of war series and that's just because you know that's what the type of game people loved back then if you're talking about a platformer first game not so much america mcgee's alice was more of a, just a, a straight platformer um less button mashy probably more puzzles so the game i'd say is pretty puzzle heavy um the second one not so much a little bit more like you can explore the world around you a little bit more it's not open world but there's more room for that mm -hmm. um so yeah I, I mean if you put the first one and the second one side by side you can just tell that the first one was this american mcgee's person's first game you know it just it, it rings like a first game whereas the second one's a little bit got a little bit more production value a little bit more um oomph in terms of uh, the storytelling, the writing's really good. The writing um, is like the dialogue um, and the written dialogue, because there's both, is just really, really, like it's second to none. It was like they clearly have, because no, nothing's really borrowed from the book other than the characters and some of the locations, but everything else is written sort of in the same prose as Lewis Carroll, but obviously it's been updated and modernized a little bit and yeah it's it's a real real delight to to hear the dialogue and read um the text because it's just like it's like reading a really 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 um polished novel almost you know 
So I really enjoyed just playing it for the story sense. It was um, it was just a r- real, real compliment to the rest of the game. So the second game being a sequel that follows on from, I guess, the the, the original material. Does it do anything interesting with that, or is it just is it kind of just like there's more reasons for her to go back to Wonderland again? Without giving too much away, not that I don't really expect people to go back and play these games that are really, really old, but you might want to. But the the first game doesn't really conclude why the fire happened. And so, yeah, right. it's a, and so it's a real exploration into, you know, the how, what, when, where, who. Um, and then it pulls into the theme of the one, because basically like Wonderland was fixed at the end of the first game, but then... For you know, one reason or another, it started to decline again, and so Alice is sort of pulled back in um, under the guise of a type of trauma that ha- actually happens to her, and then she sort of like regresses, and then that's where it kicks off the second game. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a real strong theme around the actual fire itself that sort of permeates through Wonderland itself. So that's kind of how they've pulled the the story from the first game to work with the second one. Um, but I really I enjoyed the second one heaps more. I think it's just because it was a newer game. There was more to do. You had you know there was an upgrade system. You had more abilities. There was a little bit more of a exploration takeaway. There were like you know more collectibles, but the collectibles weren't pointless. There were there are a value add to the game. Um, the collectibles that you go out and find um, actually reveal more of the story and why Alice is the way she is. So I really like that aspect of the game. The first game, you know, it was enjoyable. I think being, uh, you know, how old would I have been in the year 2000? Like 14, I think I would have probably loved that kind of game. Um, you know, not that it was ahead of its time or anything, but it was just a fun platformer. Mm-hmm. You know, I can imagine whacking it on um you know xbox and you know having a, having a good time with it so um but yeah I, I guess where i'm where i'm kind of going with this is i'm really thankful a lot to just how far games have come and how certain genres of games like platformers um have like innovated and developed over the years because going back to a game that's sort of made when you know the certain ideas around 3d platforming was probably still relatively new um there's just so much stuff that you you miss when you play old games like that um and you know different sorts of ways that i I guess you know for me it's probably i think that an open world game in a platformer like is something that I've didn't realize I really really liked, but now playing these older ga- older games, it's actually a, you know games like Assassin's Creed, which to a degree are a little bit of a platformer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got a bit of a newfound respect for just how insane that concept is that has built on from these kind of games. So, yeah, I mean, look at the end of the day, I really did enjoy the time that I had with both the games um but you know they didn't blow me away and that's just that's solely to do with the fact that i'm playing it so far down the 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 track you know i'm I'm coming into it really late 
Um, but yeah, it's nice to see where some of the, the, the little elements that you see in games today still um, sort of started from with some of these other games. So this is also a really good um, segue for me to go back into another old game, but this was um, a bit of a surprise for me. So I got back into uh, GoldenEye 007, which originally came out on Nintendo 64 in like 1997 or something. Um, I think most people know what this game is. It's sort of all basically redefined the first-person genre um, and sort of set a pretty pretty strong standard standard for for those types of games that I I personally think still stands today. Um, but it got released onto Game Pass um, like two or three weeks ago, so it was there all of a sudden. I was like, "What the hell is Goldeneye doing on?" Xbox. <laughs> yeah, this, amazing. this was one of those. This was one of those. Um, they announced it, and then they're like, "It's available right now." Yeah, sort of yeah, things. like yeah. literally overnight. And yeah. so people were like, "What? What the hell?" But it's not. A, out of it, it's not like a remake or a remaster, is it? It's, it's not. It's just the old game. It is, and it's it's verbatim the old game, but minus some because ah. this being a direct port on basically a completely different console with a different controller layout and setup um, has kind, it's kind of caused the game some issues. So I am a big fan of GoldenEye 007. I played a lot when I was younger. I played a lot growing up. I don't know how many times I've finished the game um, and played multiplayer with friends at parties. And, you know, we, it's what we used to do when we were younger, Paul, I think you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But... I was kind of disappointed to see that there was literally no update to the game aside from it being ported to a new controller layout that doesn't really work for the game. Um, really, really disappointed. The, 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 uh, I guess there's one update, and that's just the fact that it's widescreen at, the, at 4K resolution, mm-hmm. um, which you know can sort of be seen as not necessarily a good thing given that nintendo 64 graphics weren't really designed to be scaled up that high (laughs) yeah it's just really blurry but yeah i was was kind of disappointed like even playing through it um i wanted to go through and finish all the stages and get all the cheats which you do by beating but you basically speed run the levels it's sort of like an early version of speed running before it was really a thing that was built into the game. You know, you had to finish levels in a couple minutes on some certain difficulty to unlock a certain cheat that you could use, you know, in other levels. Um, and so back on the 64, yeah, they were pretty challenging, but they were doable because the game was made for that type of controller. They, even some of the easier cheat ones, are borderline impossible on the new control scheme, which just sort of shows just how unplayable this version of the game is um which really really got to me in the end like i was trying to play these levels over and over again i was like i actually can't really do this very well because this controller doesn't i don't know it's it's not working for the type of game that is it's not where i'm what i mean by that is the first person mechanic in the nintendo 64 goldeneye um is i think what you've what it's called is it's got a dead zone it means that wherever you look 
isn't necessarily where your gun is always looking. It, that the, your weapon and your view operate independent from each other. And okay. that is something that, for whatever reason, they didn't think about when they ported over to the Xbox. And so you don't have that. It's trying to make the game operate like a traditional FPS, which is where, you know, your gun is always just facing at the center of the screen. Right, and so okay. moving around and trying to shoot stuff and especially for trying to, even, even when you're playing the game in a more of a leisurely pace, it doesn't feel right. It feels like you've plugged in the wrong type of controller into the wrong type of game. So there was really no thought put into that and i think that's probably one of the 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 strongest aspects of the original game is the gunplay and the movement like it was really really satisfying that's just gone now just doesn't feel the same at all um Um, i'm yeah so i'm kind of i'm trying to get my head around that this controller difference so i understand what you mean about like the one of them has like the dead zone and the other one like your gun always just sort of follows where you're where you're looking that kind mm. of thing but like i'm i i'm curious about like how like how that affects the gameplay specifically so yeah like i because I, I to be honest i i i wasn't a console gamer when goldeneye came out so i i played it a bit at friends houses but never enough to really kind of get a feel for how goldeneye played so i don't mm. have the point of reference for it but i'm i'm really interested in like how those two things make it play differently so if you remember the original nintendo 64 controller is just one stick yes yep and so the gold golden eye when it came out um was designed with the fact that the player will be moving and aiming with just one stick so to do that they had there's a bit of an auto aim system it does help but it's not super generous so to combat that you had to aim toggle in which case your gun only and not the view could aim separately of how you were moving and uh and looking so you essentially had like two planes of Mm. of how the game was working and it just worked for the game i guess it's one of those things where until you sort of if you put the put them side by side you see the difference immediately yeah um and did you have to did you have to toggle between them or was like one on the analog stick one was on the d-pad you had to do you, well. There's different control layouts that you could do, but the yeah. main one, and but it, they all operated basically the same. It was just obviously the different. There was like a toggle version where if you pressed it, it would stay there. And there was also one where you just held it down, but that worked because you could make really really fine adjustments with to your looking angle with those yellow C buttons and that was you could get really really precise with that and so that was good for you know adjusting your aim level while you're moving around and then if you had to aim more precisely you could do the toggle Mm -hmm. if not then you're using the um the analog stick to move around and the gun would move independently from that now because they've got the two they've tried to mash it into the what I guess you could call now like the, the the commonly accepted sort of first person layout, which is where you've got uh, your movement with one analog stick and you're aiming with the other one. Yeah. But the problem is, is that the analog stick is just, it's either too sensitive or not sensitive enough and you can't really get it in a fine part because 
the game has that dead zone aspect, which is where there's a zone in the aiming where there it won't be it won't pick up anything, and so they they ne they never address that, and that isn't implemented into the game properly. So it makes aiming and shooting and moving while aiming really 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 difficult, and so. Mm. Yeah, so that's kind of like the, the the big thing that that really killed it for me. Um, yeah, that kind of sucks. Is it? Yeah, it just didn't have the. It didn't really feel like you're playing the same game. It feels like you're playing an emulated version of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. You know, like a, a poorly emulated version. Um, and there's just other stuff like you know the UI, you know, where it says you tells you your ammo in the bottom right hand corner. That's not upscaled to 4K, so it's like really hard to read because mm. it's just like the old resolution. Um, and also because of the upscaled resolution, the game is just really, really glitchy. So like there's parts where like the joins of walls and the landscape, you can just see right through it because it's not, I don't know, maybe it was meant to be made with a certain resolution in mind originally. And because they've changed it, it like constantly blinks or there's just big gaps that you can see through. So it kind of kills it. It's just not doesn't. It feels like an unpolished game somehow because it has been ported so poorly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, that's what I was about to say. It sounds like a a bad port of something. Mm. Um. The the thing I always remember about Goldeneye was everyone raved about the multiplayer. Um. Have you played multiplayer or single player? I've only played the single player. I jumped into the multiplayer, um, just to see if anything's really changed it's more or less the same um it's like the split screen uh the switch version apparently has online multiplayer which is really cool but the xbox version doesn't which is a little bit dis disappointing because That's i think it might have been really cool to um you know play online with other people in like and but not split not split screen you know there's no screen cheating there yeah yeah and you would think for a game that is so the multiplayer is so iconic that it would have online yeah exactly yeah um and i should sort of um go back as well so their perfect dark which was made by rare as well um was ported to the xbox 360 and then pulled onto uh game pass as well still is like works really really well that that get that's a game that has addressed that controller situation by specifically changing some of the game to fit the new controller layouts mm, and then okay. therefore it actually works so but that hasn't happened here so playing all these older games uh has given me a bit of a a newfound respect for for a lot of the quality of life type improvements that games have sort of slowly built on over the decades um that you only really notice that they're they're you know you, you don't notice something being so good when there's such an incremental increase with how it's implemented into games um but you know like good example for for both alice and goldeneye is just how unforgiving stuff like the checkpoint systems are which i think you know in a lot of newer games it's either you've got the save where you can just save as you want to go. Um, I mean, older games have that had that as well. However, I'm probably more talking about the the, the puzzle platformers on consoles um, generally. 
but I think difficulty is is a big one. You know, not being able to to change difficulty or get you know dial a game to match your sort of uh, abilities and the way you want to play the game is something I really 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 appreciate in modern games. I think that's a little bit more. I think games have become heaps more accessible. Um, so even playing these games from like you know uh, 12, 13 years ago now that that doesn't feel super present. Um, it certainly doesn't feel present in Goldeneye. Goldeneye has just this one, well, I guess there's different difficulties actually now that I, now that I think of it. Um, but the difficulties are more to do with like, you know, how many objectives you've got in a mission, not necessarily the actual, uh, the, the, the gameplay loop itself. So I guess, you know, are, are there any, quality of life improvements that you have noticed come about over the years if i'm throwing this question over to you that you know that you really appreciate you know if is there is there something in a game now that you really look for um that you know probably didn't always used to be in games um there's probably a few but just jumping off the thing you said about difficulty and checkpointing it's interesting that because I found that as well that, you know, kind of, it, I don't know if it's older games. I feel like some newer games can do it, can have sort of really punishing checkpointing systems that force you to just sort of replay chunks of the game. Mm. It's interesting that the kind of Souls-like games have turned that into a mechanic, mm. you know, the, 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 I, that those games have made checkpoints rather than being an annoying thing to have to fight through what you fought, they've turned that into an element of the difficulty that you make an interesting decision around sort of, do I press on or do I go back to the checkpoint and save what I have? I think a game like Dark Souls specifically can can get, really get away with that as, you know, making it a feature because um, you've got more than one path that you can choose. You know, you can say do I want to approach this boss now or do I want to come back to it later? Yep. yep. Um, I think there's a little bit little bit more variety in, in how you can go about completing certain elements of the game. Um, but then seeing it in a really linear game, I guess, you know, you get you just sort of sometimes fall into this Groundhog Day scenario where, where you're just going through the same part over and over again. And what ultimately happens is that you end up just building frustration, you know? Yeah. I yeah. guess in Dark Souls... You can get your ass handed to you by the same boss over and over again, which will probably make you go, all right, I'm going to stop trying to fight this boss. I'm going to go do a different boss or go do a different part of the level. Um, and then I'm going to come back to it. You know, I'm going to get better and then come back to it. Um, this is more of like a, you know, a real hard obstacle when you're trying yeah. to get through this part. And especially when you get right to the end and you fail or whatever, um, and then you you know you basically put back about fifteen minutes of gameplay, which you know in gaming terms it's a fair bit. It's a lot of time. Mm -hmm. You kind of get this false, this false difficulty. It's like, is it difficulty or is it now just becoming frustrating? And you know, is the difficulty coming from the frustration or is it actually a well-designed puzzle or is it a well-designed right. level? Yes, yeah, so I, it kind I see of makes you, you ask these questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas I think newer games are sort of getting a little bit better with either having a well-designed level in the first place or a well-designed puzzle, something with a bit more thought behind it, or 
they're giving you the option or a little bit more generous in being able to complete it so that you're not going back over and over again. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point. I had I yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, that it's kind of artificial difficulty. Um yeah, I guess in terms of the quality of life stuff, I sort of was thinking about this because um one of the reasons that I uh went back to WoW retail after I started playing WoW Classic again was almost entirely for the quality of life stuff. Mm, yeah, um, I remember you saying. And so, some of that is general quality of life. Well, I should say some of it is, is specific WoW stuff. So some of it is just like the, the mechanics of WoW are more streamlined in WoW yeah. retail. So there's that sort of quality of life stuff that is specific to that game. But in terms of other stuff, it was, it was often little things like um, things like the zooming distance was very restrictive in WoW Classic. And I find that when I play like a lot of like old RPGs and stuff is that the broadly, maybe you say like the camera control is very limiting. And I think mm. that that's even when you're dealing with like a, a non 3D game. I think often um, they have a much more fixed perspective on how they want the game you to play the game. And I wonder whether some of that is down to the power of the hardware at the time mm. that, you know, 20 15 years ago or whatever they put limits on these things because it was like that's how we we maintain performance in these games yeah. but when well, it's we're funny, it's funny you say that because <laughs> that's literally sort of the the whole premise of silent hill is that there's this fog that rolls in and everything goes crazy the whole point of the fog in the first game was to be able to have the hardware run the game and so they made yeah, right. it a part <laughs> of the story which, you know, I think that's really, really clever. Um, yeah. But, you know, maybe other games that have a distance fog in it, it would just be there inexplicably. Yeah, I've found that I've played, like, the sort of isometric top-down RPGs where you you feel like you can't see as far ahead as your character would be able to sort of actually. And that is maybe because they're putting those limits on it for performance, but... If I play those kind of old games now, I find it a bit frustrating. Um, I think one of them that has two that spring to mind are the the Age of Empires 2 remake and the Diablo 2 remaster. And mm. that I think both of them are quite good in the sense that they give you more control over the camera than the original games did. But I think you still feel that a little bit, even with the remakes of those, that you, you feel yeah. that kind of like, especially Diablo, I think you're, you're on a screen you think I'm in a huge open field. My character would know what is further ahead, but yeah. you know, the limitation that's been put on me here, I know it's got gameplay reasons, stuff like that, but I feel like you don't get that as much with a modern game. Um, no, you don't. Um, a good, a really good example of that as a, like a direct value add for quality of quality of life in that specific circumstance is, um, Pillars of Eternity. So mm. that is, you know, if you take that game and put it side by side to like an old game like Temple of Elemental Evil or um, maybe not, or, or, Bald, or Baldur's Gate, mm -hmm. you can actually drag, I think you hold down a right mouse button and drag and your player can look really far ahead. Right. Because like yep. that's what they would be able to do. And it comes in real handy because, you know, you can sort of scout a little bit, whereas those older same games 
you couldn't do it. And I think that probably, again, would come down to the hardware. Yep. Um, and that's that's exactly what I was going to say, is that that, that option there ha- is implemented in modern games. And I think it's, you know, it's a great alternative because, you know, I don't necessarily, wa- I don't, well, not even necessarily, I absolutely don't want every game I play to be a 3D third-person action game. You know, because that that's kind of become the generic video game now. And mm. I like that there are these games that are, you know, 2D isometric, that that kind of that kind of style of game still exists. And so yeah, rather than making it a fully movable, rotatable 360 degree degree camera, the draggable camera like that is a really good um it's a really good option. I think I think I've played um Divinity Original Sin had a similar kind of draggable camera that worked mm-hmm. in the same way that, you know, you kind of had a fog of war, but you could drag your camera around almost like a strategy game if you wanted to, to, to kind of see what was ahead and have a look around. The other one that I kind of thought of is, uh, it's sort of the same kind of genre of game, because I guess that's a lot of the older stuff I've played. It's like old RPGs or old strategy games. I often find that the amount of flexibility you have with your controls is limited, but limited in ways like if I'm playing a, a, a modern game, I will expect to sort of be able to do a lot of different variations of left clicking and right clicking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll be able to sort of left click or right click, or you double click to do this, or you control click to do that, or alt or sh- hold shift to do other things. And I find when I play those older games that, it does. They don't often have a lot of that stuff built into it. That often you'll just have sort of a left click and a right click, and it feels very clunky from someone who's playing modern games. It feels very clunky to have to kind of do everything with just those two inputs without all the different kind of variations on mouse clicks that modern games use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been playing in terms of some of the older Game Pass games. Look have a lot of fun with uh, my time with the, the Alice games. Um, wish I could say more for the, the GoldenEye, uh, I want to say remake, but it's not remake, the GoldenEye re-release. <laughs> um, but look, I can always pull out the, the, the old Nintendo 64 and, uh, and, and load up the real deal. So another game I have gotten into is actually on my iPhone, um, and it is something that came up pretty recently. Um, I, I reckon people have been waiting for it to come out for for a couple years now at least. Um, but it's a game called Star Wars Hunters. It's like a arena battler shooter. Um, I'm not really sure how else to explain it. I think maybe it's similar to a to games like Overwatch or a, a bit of a like a, a mesh between a game like Overwatch and Fortnite. At least that's kind of what it feels like anyway. Um, so, yeah, so actually on my iPhone, don't really play many games on my iPhone, um, especially not shooters. And got to say, I've been having a real hard time getting my my head around the controls um i feel like i've been complaining about controls this whole episode so far um but yeah it's a 
look, it's not it's not too bad as far as as far as mobile games go. Um, I'm you know not a huge fan of games that uh, require you to sink a lot of real world money into to sort of get to get up to speed and kitted to where you're sort of competitive. Um, is, I think this is, is game that what, pretty... is that what this one is wanting you to do? It's hard to say, you know, without without playing it much more. Um, I, I think so. I think a lot of it, it comes down to cosmetics, which is fine. Yeah, right. Um, I've, I've been doing really well in the matches, though. So the matchmaking is, is pretty good for me anyway. I know some people haven't had the, the, the same kind of luck. Um, however, for me, it's been okay so far. I've probably played about 20, 25 matches, give or take. Um, and I can't really see much of a difference between my skill level and the other people I'm playing against. Mm-hmm. Um, so some other people have had issues with really poor matchmaking. Um, Right to the point where they're like, you know, they're level five and they're constantly getting thrown in with people who are like, you know, level 25, 30, um, which I think has prompted some people to think that maybe that is what uh, the, the publisher or the developer has done on purpose. Because, you know, if you're constantly feeling like you're not doing as well as anyone else in the match, it might force you or prompt you to want to put you know even just a little bit of money into the game to unlock some different weapons mm. um is, far... is the is um your level kind of really directly tied to your uh like your power level is, is it just like yeah. is it every time you go up you are just um like linearly powerful more powerful every time like that yeah that's right so so technically you know someone who is putting money into the game and someone who isn't they're on the same track of progress right it's just the difference is, is is how you know that classic situation of how quickly do you want that to happen um right, and so you okay. can sink the money in to unlock a lot more that being said you know i i've been matched pretty well with people who are very close to my level or even slightly above and i've been doing really really well um I'm not sure if that's just because I'm still such a low level in comparison to some of the other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, look, I think I'm going to keep playing it a little bit more because I kind of want to see how competitive the game can get um, or if it sort of, you know, have I played the game to its maximum sort of competition level in terms of what I can and can't do in the game. You know, that being said, you know, it's, I, I'm really enjoying the the character that I'm currently trying to, to 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 equip up. So you unlock different types of characters as you unlock levels and XP. I'm playing the bounty hunter at the moment. Um, reminds me a lot of uh, the old Republic bounty hunter class. Okay, it, it almost, yeah. It almost looks a little bit similar. You know, it's got that sort of like stylized WoW Fortnite sort of look to it, which mm-hmm. I really like in this kind of game. Um, but yeah, I'm having a lot of fun, you know, jumping around the levels as a bounty hunter because they're really, really good at that. And then, you know, sort of letting off a barrage of missiles. Um, so 
I feel I've, sometimes I feel like I'm playing the PvP mode in uh, the Old Republic, which I used to love. Yeah, so that was good. really good. That was that was good PvP in the Old Republic. We, it was great. It was great. And so yeah. it does feel a lot like that. Um, it's a little bit strange, though, you know, because you have a really limited sort of um, screen that you can sort of use to touch on different abilities and stuff, it's actually got like an auto-firing thing. So anytime your cursor moves over an enemy, your character will just automatically fire right. unless you press, yeah, unless you press uh, like an ability or mm, something with a cooldown. Um, then that's obviously manual. Reminds me a little bit of, you know, uh, iOS or mobile racing games where it's like you're always, the accelerator is always on and mm -hmm. you kind of just steer and brake. Yeah. So it's a little bit like that. Um, so is the gameplay, like you kind of said arena shooter and you sort of mentioned like Overwatch, is it first person? No, it's, th it's third person. So okay. yeah, that's where it feels, I guess, where it feels a little bit like Fortnite. Um, I mean, it's probably not really a fair comparison outside of being third person and having very similar type graphics. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's probably closer to something like Overwatch. Right, um, okay, but third person. The, the only matches I've been playing so far are, they're kind of like the, you know, whoever gets the most, oh no, first to like 20 kills or 30 kills or whatever. Um there are other types of matches. However, I think they're more or less just a spin on the same thing. It kind of does feel to me like they might have rushed the game out to meet the demands of the people who are wanting it to come out because it doesn't feel like there's heaps of stuff in the game. They've obviously right. put a lot of stuff of, yeah, a lot of purchasable content in, So, and that's more or less uh, cosmetics, um, some of which are really cool. But past that, the actual game itself, there's not, there's, there doesn't seem like heaps. So, you know, I'm hoping that the challenge ultimately comes from the, the competition levels going up with matchmaking. Um, other than that, you know, I probably can't see myself playing it too much longer. But, you know, it's one of those games that it keeps you occupied on the train ride home. Um, you know, you just want to wind <laughs> down a bed or something. It's, it's very much that kind of game. So, I'm I'm interested. We are talking a lot about controls this episode. I'm interested in controls for this about sort of how that kind of game plays on mobile. So you sort of you sort of said the thing about if your your cursor or aiming reticle or whatever goes over someone, it fires. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you explain a bit more about like how you move around the level and things like that? So you've got on the left. Moving anywhere on or touching anywhere on the left-hand side of the screen will move your person around. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's as if you've got two virtual thumb sticks oh, yeah, for okay. the types of games. And yep. then on the right, you look around. And then if you want to use an ability, you need to tap on it. But you can freely move your fingers over the ability panel um, as long as you're not, not pressing it down on it and off of a, an ability. So it actually works quite well that way. Um, it doesn't really get confused. Yeah, okay. Um, as far as, yeah, but moving around the level, that's, you know, it's more or less a traditional sort of third-person um, shooter game. But, you know, you can do things like the Bounty Hunter has a, you know, if you want to jump, you press your jump ability. Um, they've got other special movement abilities. So the Bounty has a, Hunter has like a grapple 
where it can, if you look at a certain predefined area in a map, it'll come up with a little icon of the of like a, a grapple hook. If you press that, then they will, you know, shoot themselves up to that location. And so that's a way mm-hmm. that the bounty hunter moves around. Similarly, um, other classes have like, you know, different types of ways they can move quickly around the level. So I was actually kind of surprised at how good the motion is. Um, but that being said, it, it does still just feel, it, it's difficult, but, you know, I'm spoiled as a first person sort of, or I should say a, a PC player, you know, I'm spoiled with that, you know, yeah. ultra precise yes. mode of, of travel in games and movement um so it's it's quite an adjustment i think i'm getting a bit better at it you know i've been playing a fair few console games lately um and so i'm you know it's starting to come to me but mm-hmm. not having a physical button that you touch is quite jarring when if you're not doing that all the time so you know it's a little bit of a learning curve there yeah i feel like i'll probably sound like an old man here but i feel like it's a little bit like the future when you're explaining like sort of dual analog sticks as a control method but you're doing that on a flat surface where there are no actual sticks that you're pushing you know it fe- mm. it feels a bit like it's a bit like science fiction technology yeah <laughs> imagining like right. what's the next step is like what there is no Life screen control. at all yeah there's no screen at all and you <laughs> just have your hands in space but whatever device you're using can tell your thumb movements like it mm. it feels very futuristic to me that that sort of thing i can understand what you mean though like not having um not having the, the almost like moving a physical thumbstick there's a bit of resistance to it even if it's very very minimal and i, yeah. I can imagine it would be weird to not push a thumbstick to be yeah you know, to not be pushing against anything when you're doing this yeah i mean I, you probably don't even really realize it when you're using a controller but like you know your brain is picking up on that natural feedback from just the touch yeah, and you know the thing springing back that's not present. So right, and the limits of it as well. Tricky. You know, when you push and it won't go any further. That's right. Yeah. So you know, you find you do find yourself, you know, moving your thumbs right off the screen, and they fall off sometimes because you just, <laughs> you know, you, there's no boundaries. Yeah. Um, I guess the big problem with this type of game, and I'm sure this is probably permeates the mobile platform, but you know, when you're moving your thumbs on the screen, you're also obscuring your view into the game world so you know it does unless you change the sensitivity to be way higher than normal which i probably wouldn't advise in this kind of game because it's already pretty difficult to to move and aim around you will inadvertently start you know obscuring your view to the point where you like you sometimes you don't know what you're shooting at because you've moved your thumb right into the middle of the screen <laughs> and are now like basically just blocking whatever you're looking at so you know maybe someone a really seasoned player or someone who's really really good at mobile games might not have this issue but for someone like me who sort of you know dabbles here and there mm-hmm. um pretty big barrier but you're enjoying it still for, for the time being i am um i i think i'm always gonna have a pretty short-lived experience with mobile games especially when there's things like microtransactions involved because Mm -hmm. it just it's not to do with you know it's not necessarily to do with me not wanting to give the developer money it's not about that it's that generally when you've got that as ingrained in the game it permeates the ui everywhere like there are so many coins and you know things to click that 
just want you to spend that little bit of money where to the point where it you know it's overwhelming I, you just all you see is options of different ways to go about putting money into the game and just clutters everything up that's probably where you know i'm probably going to reach the end of my tether i'm going to get sick of tapping things to you know claim your prize cl- you know press here like that's half of the game is like admin for making sure your guy has enough coins and points to do things because unless you're spending heaps of money to do it all in the first place you're going to be constantly pressing buttons to try and claim things that give you you know the the crumbs of coins that the game gives you like naturally yeah so um and for the the stuff you were saying before about sort of everyone being on the same progression track it it sounds like that leads itself towards being pay to win yeah i mean you know sort of defenders of the game and the reviews say that it's not pay to win it just takes time it's like well for someone who doesn't have time it's then i'm already at a deficit right so yeah um and if what you're spending money on saves you the time then it's pay to win then it's pay to win yeah and so that's a big part of it you know especially when you want to unlock different ways to get the sorry different abilities or different things for a character or different characters themselves um yeah that's absolutely going to be called pay to win in my book yeah i've I've quite enjoyed some of those games which use the it's kind of like the season pass or that sort of thing model where you often have sort of two progression tracks and you have like the Mm. the standard progression track which is for everyone playing the game and that's the one that your you know your character power is tied to and then you have a separate profession track progression track for say like a subscription or a season pass that you've paid for which which tends to be all cosmetics and those kind of rewards but it's like it's a separate thing so you know it's always there and they tempt you with it just like you're saying by putting it in every second place in the ui but Mm. the actual progression which changes how well you can do at the game is always just the same for everyone yeah Yeah. i think that's a good way of balancing those two things i'm like the the example i think fortnite does a thing like that although i don't know how much player power boosting there is in fortnite anyway but um the magic card game magic arena i think that did quite a good job of having like a um a paid reward track but then a kind of general reward track which had the the things in it that kind of everyone was getting to build more cards and things like that yeah I guess in a game like Fortnite, you know, like it's it's definitely not pay to win because the progression is purely cosmetic unless yeah. the game's changed since I last played it. But like everybody yeah. has the same chances of getting the same guns when they like run into a into a game and all the guns do the same thing for everybody else. So, you know, someone spending no money versus someone who's bought everything in the game, it's it is actually all gonna come down to skill. Yeah, which I like. Yeah. I think that's a, a great way to do it. But you know, they have such a massive foothold on the types of cosmetics they've got. You know, all the licensing that like right. they don't yeah. need to make it pay to win. Exactly, and it's it's the licensing that does that. So th- this is interesting though. This Star Wars game has the licensing. Um, so you know, I, I feel like they could do. You know, you don't get much bigger than the Star Wars license, so you could do a pretty good job of splitting off the kind of. Um, 
paid content into just cosmetic stuff that draws from that franchise. And like, yeah, you, you've got a huge amount to choose from there. Yeah. And now that you bring it up, I think it's actually a really missed opportunity for the game so far. Um, you know, that the licensing isn't really been touched on except for the fact that it's called Star Wars and there's bounty hunters and lightsabers in it. Like apart from, you know, apart from what you would expect in a Star Wars game, yeah. there's not really much else there. It's kind of funny though, isn't it? Because I feel like I'm I'm contradicting how I would generally feel. I'm sort of saying like, oh, they should... They should lean more on the franchise to make their money there rather than in, you know, other areas. But it's like, if this was a game that just had you playing as Luke Skywalker fighting against Darth Vader's all the time, I would <laughs> I would be so much less interested. It's like that when I played Star Wars Battlefront, um, I know their hero characters where you got to play as one of those people was a big part of it. But I always found that the least interesting part. Like, like mm. I, for me, the battlefield, the battlefield experience, not going too much into that is kind of, you know one soldier among hundreds and so the star wars version of that one stormtrooper in the army was fun but then when it was like and now you're emperor palpatine it was like oh that's that's not what i'm here for <laughs> yeah and also what is he doing you know <laughs> with with the army on the front line yeah, yeah i'm pretty what, sure he's <laughs> what's he doing yeah. fighting like boba fett in <laughs> in this yeah. battle <laughs> yeah he's literally no longer pulling the strings anymore he's just <laughs> He's the puppet. <laughs> but, I mean, that's probably all the thoughts I have for it at the moment. I just wanted to bring it up because, you know, I don't often play mobile games. Um, and I do, you know, I still love Star Wars. I, you know, we've we've, we've had a, a bit of a broken relationship over the, the last, <laughs> I don't know, 10 years. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's, that's just about does me for everything I've been playing. Um, been good it's been good to be, to, to to play games again um because it's been a real drought lately um for me but it's been a bit of a, J, a jt spectacular this episode it has been yeah yeah um but look that being said i guess i'll throw over to you i believe you've been getting into i guess an old favorite or <laughs> a new favorite is it a favorite i don't know yeah. i'll leave it up to you to explain but what are you doing so it's it's definitely a favorite but i don't know how old it is um so I've been playing Elden Ring again. Uh, followers of the podcast would know I bought a Xbox Series X a few months ago, a couple of months ago. And this was one of the things that I had previously played on PC. And I got really, really, really into it and thought it was incredible. And then I had like a hard drop off in the space of like a couple of days. Um, and then I, I ended up buying it again on Xbox because I, I always felt like it was the kind of game that I would much prefer to play on a console on my couch rather than like in a chair at my PC. And mm. in general, like, yeah, that is the case. Like I'm probably enjoying playing it in that context more. Um, but I've restarted it because you can't bring your save game across or anything. And I'm basically now up to the point I was at when I played it on PC. And when I played it on PC, that took me about 50 hours to get to that point and to get there so far on console, it's taken me about 20. And wow. okay. I, I found that it's been a really interesting experience to play through all this stuff that I had played before because, you know, and for anyone who's played these games, this will be like 
you know, they'll, they'll be sitting there saying like, well, of course, this is how they work. But for me, this is the first time that I'm really sort of getting to see how much more important your, your skill with the game and your knowledge of the game are mm. in a FromSoft game rather than just your stats. Oh, um, yeah. And I've, I found myself, you know, I'm, I'm defeating bosses much, much earlier than I did. Sort of, you know, it, it's not like I'm getting through it quicker because I know where to go to get all the best things and I'll level up heaps faster and that sort of thing. It's like I'm, I'm barely even half as powerful as my character was in my first game in terms of levels, but I'm at the same level of progress because I'm able to beat bosses because I understand the game better and I know the bosses moves and their fights and things like that. So, you know, I can just take on a boss with worse gear, lower level, but I'm able to avoid the attacks. So therefore you can beat the boss. And it, everyone always says this about these games and playing through Elden Ring the first time, it's kind of like, it's like I knew this was the case, but I hadn't actually experienced it to be a thing. And so it's, it's been yeah. kind of interesting to go through it again and, and see that like, no, that, that's actually true. <laughs> you know, I, un I understand now how you get these people who say like they beat the game naked at level one and never level up. And it's like, I, I could <laughs> using like, a banana or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I could never do that because like throwing back to an earlier point for me, the line between difficult and frustration would be far, far earlier in that. But I get how, the game allows that if you're willing to put the effort in. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So are you saying that, you know, to, to get to this level of expertise in the game, that did you find that it came naturally through trial and error and just getting used to the game, you know, almost passively? Or did you do feel like you actually really had to actively change how you played the game you know consciously to, to to get where you're at now no i think it's all completely natural so okay like if the 50 hours i played on pc to get to where i was when i started playing on console it wasn't like like i said before it wasn't like i was sort of saying oh i know where all the secrets are i'll totally change how i play but it, it was like those 50 hours meant that i knew how to like when to use my block or when to dodge with my character or sort of the timing of some of these bosses and things like that. So mm. it, 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 it was all stuff that I learned just through playing the game, um, which meant that going back through it again, um, it was almost irrelevant how strong my character was in a way. Like the, I, I would almost say the only, the biggest stat I think that has mattered is just how much health I have and how mm. many healing potions I have. So all the, all the sort of things about how much damage my weapon does and how strong my armor is, that seems to be far less important than just, yeah, my health and my potions, because those allow me to sort of stay in a fight longer. Um, but really, I feel like I'm not doing too much more or too much less damage either way. It's just whether I'm able to sort of, whether I had the time to beat the boss, basically. Now... This is something I'm really interested in. So you've just touched on how you now understand the gameplay more. Yep. But on this run through, do you understand the game more? <laughs> do you mean the story? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you know what you're doing? Do you know I, what's I, going on? <laughs> I still I still have 
absolutely no idea. And the, the right. funny, the okay. funny thing is I, before I started this playthrough, um, I had a YouTube video recommended to me by someone who is very, very into this game. And it's like a 35 minute YouTube video. And it's supposed to be like, here's all the basic lore of Elden Ring. That's kind of like the foundation you need to understand the story. And I swear, I watched this whole video and at the end of it, I felt like I still had no idea what was going on. I really on. do feel like the From Software games and their game worlds and the plot and everything is a little bit, it feels like someone with ADHD writing <laughs> a story to something. Like it, I feel like they go on so many different tangents and there's so many different nooks and crannies, but I don't know, you know, they often, often to me feels like they terminate very quickly. You know, there's just these lots yeah. of little stories happening at once or ideas and themes. And I guess there's not really anything pulling it all together. Maybe yeah. that's by design. I don't know. Yeah. And, and look, maybe there is, and I'm just not noticing it. And like, there may be people listening and thinking like, I, I just totally don't get it. Um, But I, I like, I, I have to say, I, I feel a bit like, the same, um, I have a bit of the same response to the story and lore in this game as I do with things like Metal Gear Solid, where mm. I kind of, Metal Gear Solid, I like, always have this suspicion that actually like the story's really bad and the writing's terrible, but it's kind of, it's so obtuse that people just latch onto it because it's so weird and out there. Um, mm. and, and I get this, I almost get the same vibe with this, that I'm not convinced it's actually a good story and setting, but because it's like really difficult to figure out what's going on, um, people enjoy the kind of the, the fun of figuring that out. I don't mm. know, you know, that that's, I, I get a bit of that from it. That's just my, my personal take. Like for me, the appeal is very much the gameplay and the open world. I think like the open world is phenomenally good and the gameplay is fantastic. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really not like actually it. convinced it's a good story. I've always liked the um, From Software have like great character and monster and level designs. Yeah. Um, you know, Bloodborne was a real, real highlight. I loved the, the overall theme for Bloodborne um, in terms of the design and the visual, the visual style um, was so good. Um, and it's almost, you know, it's almost fun just running around in those kind of worlds. Yeah. That's like some of the, some of the kind of open areas that the game has are just like gorgeous. Some of the, the vistas that it, it gives you multiple, multiple times you get that, um, open world Bethesda game moment where it mm. puts you in a place where you look out over the world and it's kind of like everything you can see, you can go to. Um, yeah. I've probably had that, I reckon, three or four times so far where I've gone in the game where it gives you that sort of um, vantage point to see things and then you spend the next five to ten hours going to those things and exploring them and fighting them and stuff like that. And, yeah, it's really cool. So um, I've got another question, I guess, um, or query. Uh -huh. so, so I in my playing console games all of a sudden, have noticed a bit of a disconnect with the type of game I'm playing and the immersion. And what I mean by that, as an ex I'll give you an example. I've just started playing 
um, the the last Amnesia game. And I started playing it on the console. So I'm sitting on the couch. I'm obviously pretty far away from the TV. Turn it up reasonable, reasonably loud. But the problem with this scenario is that I can still hear everything around me. I know, I feel like, yeah, you know, I'm playing this cool spooky game, but I also know that I'm just in the living room relaxing on a couch. And so probably after about 10 minutes, 15 minutes maybe of game, I turned it off, uninstalled it, and then installed it on my computer instead and having been enjoying it heaps more because I can put my headphones on mm. right mm-hmm. up to the screen. I can sit, you know, all I really, really see in my field of vision is what's happening in the game. Have you sort of found this with this kind of game as well? I mean, maybe Elden Ring's not quite as immersive because it's not first-person player, but I don't know. I feel like I lost something um, playing the... Well, I, I feel like I do lose things playing certain types of games on console and being in like a relaxed sort of setting as opposed to sort of up, right up to a screen on PC where I can sort of really get into the game. Yeah, as a general thing, I completely agree. Like, I think, um, I think in in a way, it's sort of a PC screen is smaller, but you're so much closer that it kind of it takes up more of your field mm. of vision. Um, e- even though it may be you know like a quarter the size of your TV or less. Um, but yeah, I I think I definitely find PC stuff more immersive because yeah, headphones on, close to the screen, um. And I, I tend to play things on my console, which are a bit more casual. So like I play a lot of FIFA, I play racing games, um, you know, playing racing games with a controller on the couch, you know, I'm not sitting there with a wheel and things like that, getting really Hmm. immersed. Um, and yeah, I probably do find with Elden Ring that I'm not as into it in that sense. And in general, I think when I've played kind of those sort of story-driven games on console compared to PC, I would say I get much more immersed playing on PC. I would always say, even say that even things like strategy games, I'm much more immersed playing a strategy game on my PC than a story-based game on a console. Yeah. Um, because, I don't know, you just, you feel like you're very much, well, for me anyway, I feel like I'm much more in it. Like, even when we play Zomboid or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I think I get what you mean. I, You know, it's... There are obviously immersive console games and Elden Ring can be immersive. And I think like the, you know, the Last of Us and Uncharted games are, they're immersive to the extent that a movie is immersive. Um, mm. But yeah, there is, I don't know, we're, we're both very much PC gamers and I feel there is something a bit special about the, you know, playing a PC game with your headphones on, like right up close to your screen, not being interrupted. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I can. I, I feel like when I'm playing on PC, that's when I can sink hours and hours and hours into a game and not really even realize it. Whereas on console, I'm sort of constantly reminded that I'm playing a game and it's right. heaps easier to get up and go away from it, which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. But those, you know, sort of those long immersive stints of gaming don't really happen for me on console. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm probably the same. I think I probably tend to, I tend to play quite short sessions when I play on console. I tend to sort of, you know, sit down and play for like 15 minutes or half an hour and then get up and do something else. Whereas like PC is where I'll sit down and play, you know, 
five hours of football manager without realizing it. (laughs) (laughs) Or 12 hours of wow. (laughs) The the very first time, this is a, I always like this. The the very first time I ever played wow, I got it um, sort of in the kind of afternoon of a day. And I probably started playing it at about 6 or 7 p.m. at night and made my like my dwarf character in the dwarf starting area. And I played the game for 12 hours straight. The first <laughs> time I ever played WoW, just straight through the night without sleeping. And it was just like, it was like that. Like I, I was so immersed. It was like the first proper, the first proper time I played an MMO. And I just, I couldn't believe how big the world was and that I could go anywhere and do whatever I wanted. And it just, yeah. And then it just, you know, took over my life for the next few years. <laughs> but yeah, we've we've uh, we've strayed far from Elden Ring, and I didn't have much more to say about that anyway. So I'll probably have further thoughts as I as I move through the game and get into new areas and stuff like that. But um, moving on from that and moving us towards the end of this episode, uh, JT, I'm going to ask what your what you've got in your sights to play before our next episode. I know you mentioned Amnesia. Yeah. So. Yep, spoiled it a little bit early. Um, <laughs> amnesia, uh, the the last one is it Amnesia Requiem? I can't remember what it's called now. I only just started <laughs> playing it. Um, but anyway, playing that uh, finally, um, liking it so far. But I've got already got a, a fair few thoughts on it. Um, I've also been playing for for my casual console um, self. I have been playing Dante's Inferno. If oh. you remember that, that's obviously on Game Pass. I have that game. Um, but I never played it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm like playing on, it on for Xbox, you. I think I, I had it. So I must have paid money for it. <laughs> I'm playing it for you. So, um, yeah, lots to talk about there. Um, won't give away too much my thoughts on it so far because I, I'm not heat fire into the game. So, but um, no spoilers for the centuries old story. <laughs> yeah, that's right. By playing, <laughs> I mean, I'm reading the, uh, the epic poem, The Divine Comedy. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Um, you know, I think there's some, there's definitely some cool mythology going on there that I'm interested to hear about for sure. Yeah. Um, so I think the only thing I'm planning to play other than the the normal stuff that I've talked about already is kind of along with uh, GoldenEye when Microsoft announced that and then it was just available. There's another game called Hi-Fi Rush, which is like yeah, a, okay. a, a rhythm-based cartoon action game which just was announced and then available for free on game pass um and so wow. I'm, I'm actually thinking of giving that a go just because it's a bit weird and it's free and it's different um so yeah I, i've kind of downloaded that and when i get a chance i want to see what that's like i i doubt very very much whether that's a game i will play through to the finish but um i'm kind of interested in the combination of things that it is enough to give it an hour or two to just see what it's like awesome look forward to hearing about it but if you want to get in touch and tell us what you're playing or ask us questions about what we've played or or anything like that uh you can do that by email discandice at gmail.com is is our our email address you can also find us on discord in a channel called raptor mountain um we have a little space there you can drop in uh, ask us a question tell us what you've been playing any feedback as well um we're happy to respond there 
and all the usual social social media places youtube uh instagram twitter we have we have disc and dice places on all of those that you can find us message us uh, and do all that kind of stuff but that is about it for episode number checks notes 82 of this podcast <laughs> so we will be back in an indeterminate amount of time with another one see you next year <laughs>